Well, I don't know what's going on. Hello? Hi, now I hear you. Okay, good. Still? Did you do, an did you do anything to make me hear you? No. Interesting. You must be just buffering. So uh, you're in uh, London? I am in London. I landed um, about 12 hours ago. So this is my first uh, evening. It's about uh, getting on for 10 p.m. And uh, w what has been uh, keeping you occupied mentally during the last uh, few days? Uh, a lot of things. Um, Mark Zuckerberg's testimony to Congress regarding Libra was a big part of this last week. Why? Lots of reasons. Um, I mean, on the political side, it was just astonishing how poor the Republicans and the Democrats were in engaging with him on the actual subject. They were both posturing politically, mainly surrounding the issue of Facebook and privacy and uh, intrusion in people's lives or otherwise. Interestingly, as a, as, a, as, a, as a person of the left, I was most offended by the Democrats, not by the Republicans in the way they handled the, the thing, because they, they're, they're obviously on this path of breaking up Facebook, which um, I, I strongly believe is a, not a winning point of view. Yeah, I'm not so sure that that's, uh, uh, they may be on that, think they're on that path, but uh, uh, I'm not so sure that that's what's going to happen. Well, yeah, I'd suggest it definitely is not going to happen. And um, by pursuing it, they, you know, they um, they paint themselves in a in, in in some colors that are not very attractive. Um, yeah, but I mean, it, so what? I mean, why do uh, politicians have to be attractive or not? I mean, isn't the issue uh, how uh, social networks are going to be uh, regulated or managed? You know, I personally think they, they're not. You know, it's interesting that Zuckerberg has taken the pulpit on free speech, which I think is a very smart move. Um, social networks are just, you know, the, the human race has been social networking ever since the, 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 the Greek polis in that um, all, we do, all we've done is we've used better and better technology to do it with, starting with tablets of stone and moving to paper and <clears throat> then um, broadcast and um, publishing of various types and now social networking. You can't really stop human beings being social and they will use the best tools available. And much as I have all kinds of issues with Facebook, it is the best tool available.
Well, I don't, I'm not sure I agree with that. Uh, it's one of at least four or five social networks that uh, have, uh, you know, gathered a huge audience and impact. And uh, uh, it's not clear to me that Facebook uh, is all that effective uh, at much other than gathering a large uh, network. Well, I, I agree with the spirit of that, which is um, we can only imagine better ways of doing it. Um, and it's true that Facebook's uh, pollution of the news feed, uh, you know, LinkedIn has tend to do the same. Um, and Twitter's inability to coherently organize um, a point of view around a conversation, there's limits to all of it, but it all represents the best so far. Right. And uh, so saying that this is about uh, Facebook uh, not handling things uh, correctly, uh, I would say that it's true of all technology is that it's not handled correctly. But over time, yeah. uh, these things uh, uh, are mediated by a combination of economics, uh, uptake, uh, and uh, the social impact. Yeah. But you know what's really interesting is in the context of the, you know, we're, we're now um, not quite but almost 12 months from the next election. What's really interesting is the Democrats, via their critique of Facebook, are starting to represent an old, irrelevant clique. The Republicans, on the other hand, even with Libra, are prepared to embrace some element of a potential future uh, and engage with it. And I find that incredibly disturbing because I'm not a Republican. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I understand the, the uh, attitude that, that you're expressing, but I don't know that it's uh, as fundamental to what's going to happen as I'd like it to be. So l let me uh, bring up an orthogonal, but also, I think, extremely related subject, which is what Facebook is doing with uh, their portal technology. Have you looked into that at all? Just say a little bit more. I think I have, but I'm not sure exactly what you mean. It's like a smart speaker uh, slash. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Video. Portal, yeah. Yes. Yeah, now, I've seen the TV ads. Very good TV ads. And uh, yeah, I mean, they're good as far as I'm concerned, because they basically show the uh, fundamental attraction of what they're suggesting. And in an age when uh, people are distributing their uh, lives are, are, you know, on the road, uh, in multiple dwellings, and dealing with uh, issues like uh, the aging parent and the emerging uh, college child etc there's uh, there's that ad or the ones that i've seen suggest the idea that this is kind of a cooperative window it's a social window 
uh, into broadening the family structure. It is, but I suspect that it's too little too late in, the, in that, um, and I speak as someone who, who tried to build a company in this space back in, in the 2003-2005 time, um, I built a service called Viditel, which was very similar to Zoom as we, as we know it today, and not that different than Portal. Um, too little too late because you know, I have a college-age kid who just went to Syracuse. Uh, fun fact, Lou Reed went to Syracuse, I learned this week. Um, and um, I FaceTime him all the time. Literally, I talk to him more now than I did when he was at home, frankly, um, via FaceTime. Um, and I think with FaceTime and... Um, especially FaceTime in the U.S., because iPhone is so dominant, there isn't really a space for portal. You don't, you don't need it. Yeah, you're already you're, doing it. You're already, uh, you know, converting the discussion from, uh, you know, into a sort of monoculture or duopoly kind of a framework, which I don't think is as important as if you find something that works, uh, you adopt it. If there are a large or a core yeah, group yeah. of other people uh, that you like to communicate with or that they like to be communicated with, uh, also a percentage of them adopt this. So all of a sudden, the economics start to uh, make some sense for the development of the platform. And that's what I'm no, seeing I, that yeah. Facebook is doing right now. Uh, because, you know, when they first rolled this thing out, it was uh, uh, $350, something like that, and you needed two of them in order to get this synergy that the app that the ad represents. Namely, uh, you know, I've fallen and I can't get up, uh, turned into a social platform for uh, interacting, you know, and... That, I think, is interesting, particularly given the fact that Facebook continues to be assaulted and assaulting us uh, on the basis of so-called privacy. I think that this is uh, something that is inevitably going to uh, uh, improve. And as such, if you combine it with the, uh, the capabilities of smart speakers, AirPods, uh, you know, et cetera, this, uh, you have a sort of system uh, network that uh, I think is going to be super, super important. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I, I, I notice it in all kinds of ways, by the way. I mean, Facebook video is one. And I think, I think um, having an endpoint that doesn't require both sides to have the same endpoint is smart. Um, I use Slack a lot in a business context for video and voice calls. So, you know, I can define a team in Slack and I can, in a single click, do a call to the whole team, which is audio, and then I can upgrade to video if it's a smaller team. So I use that a lot. Um, LinkedIn doesn't have that offering yet, but it's about to launch live streaming from video on LinkedIn, which I think will be a big, a big deal. 
um, it, it's, it's almost like voice and video and commoditized features of many. In, in a given day, we might use many of them. And Facebook portal is one of them. Skype is still one of them. Um, I think increasingly video blogs and the tools that are associated with them are part of that as well. And, you know, people now have multiple methods of connecting to other people, either individually or in groups, uh, and, and it's just ubiquitous. So it, it changes the paradigm of human communication and, and social interaction massively. So I agree with you, Facebook is adopting something that works. Well, but not only that, they're, uh, they've, as I was saying before, the, the original cost was 350 times two. So it's like, you know, maybe with discounting, it's still over $500 for uh, simply setting up a, a one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is interesting, but it, it, it got actually interesting, in my opinion, when uh, they released two or three different devices uh, about a month ago. Uh, one at a price point of 150, one at a high, uh, price point of 170, and one at a price point of 120. Yeah, I, I noticed Robert Scoble uh, uh, was uh, using this and uh, on uh, on Facebook, uh, you know, talking about it, and uh, I'm glad to see him talking about something that's going to actually happen uh, <laughs> sooner yeah, than than yeah. ever but uh you know I, we love robert but on the other hand uh i think the impact of dealing with something that i mean remember how twitter started uh and there were others facebook and not so much because it was college bound and uh, and then sort of jumped the shark from college into uh, you know the rest of the world but uh, twitter started uh as you know, what the hell do I need this for? And you just had to have a, either somebody like uh, Gabe Rivera, who basically told me, you know, get into it. Yeah. Uh, uh, but even so, I, it still took me about a year before I actually posted anything because I just didn't see the, uh, the kinds of disruptive uses of the network. I understood that it was going to be amazing as is the internet in general, but I didn't understand specifically why. And, you know, yeah. then the, the user signals started to manifest themselves like uh, ad mentions and uh, track, which was basically a, a real-time search function that would uh, allow you, you know, to alert yourself to people that were interested in something that you might be interested in or just interested in the fact that they were on the network and saying something, which to me was the the birth of the whole notification framework that we see dominant now. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you map that over to uh, this smart speaker, uh, AI, uh, you know, uh, Siri, uh, you know, et cetera, uh, moment that we are emerging in, there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen around social cues and about how 
uh, people actually use these technologies. And it, it really will be a much more rapid uh, development than who's got the scale right now. I, I don't care how many networks have scale. I, I'm not that interested in Alexa, uh, for not because I don't think that it's amazing what they're doing. To me, it's, it's not the gold standard. It's one of several. I use Siri a lot because I'm an Apple fanboy and because uh, I've invested in the, uh, the Apple framework, as have you. And, yeah. Uh, so uh, I recognize that it may not be as advanced as uh, Alexa or uh, Google are in terms of uh, utilizing these primitives, but uh, the economics of it suggest, like you said, you, you use FaceTime all the time. But I think there's a difference between uh, using FaceTime or using any kind of overt uh you know, the idea of a phone call, I think, is going away. Yeah. Yeah, although, uh, well, this is, this is anecdotal, but, for example, my wife, Jenna, hates FaceTime because she doesn't want to be seen. She wants to be heard because she's um, sensitive about how she appears at any given moment in the day, like she's just gone out of bed or whatever. Um, so I... I I, I definitely think um, what I think is each one of us is going to have multiple ways to go live, either with one person or with many. That, that's the trend. We can go live. We can go live with audio. We can go live with video. Um, we can even share stuff live. And, well, let, me, and, let, me, let me stop you right there because I, I, that may be true, but... I don't think that's the fundamental. I think the fundamental is uh, orchestrating our lives is much more important than whether I'm broadcasting to one or many or receiving be, uh, uh, as a part of many. No, I agree with that. I mean, most of our life is one-to-one. -one. I'd, I'd say 90% of most interactions, if not more, are one-to-one. -one. So you know, something that glues you together with a single person, no matter what the technology on each end, it serves a purpose, to, for a big purpose in our life, which, you know, which is why FaceTime is so successful. By the way, it is amazing that FaceTime is that successful because it was late, very late to the market. Right, but, it, you know, they have the advantage of having the installed base. I mean, you know, just take a look at uh, Android. It's fantastic in terms of its uh, uh, you know, science uh, and every other part of the scale of the issue. But the, but the fragmentation of the uh, OS means that it isn't an, it's not one thing. It's, yeah. it's moving toward something, but never quite getting there. Yeah. I, well, it, you know where it really excels is... Um in business, because Google Meet, which used to be called Hangouts, um, I think right now it's pretty interchangeable. You can use Hangouts or Meet, and it's the same thing. But they're moving towards this brand being Google Meet. <clears throat> I use it several times a day in a business context with large groups, often 20 or more, and it's fantastic. And I couldn't, there is no Apple service I could use that 
is is anywhere close. Zoom is close. Zoom is probably better, actually. To be fair, Zoom is better than Google Meet in various ways. The bandwidth use is better. The the video and the audio is better, and the ability to share is better. Um, but they're they're roughly equivalent. So I use them all the time. So I think it depends on the context, what tool you use. But the the key thing is we can. There are tools now for almost any interaction. But I think you're missing uh, the core of what I'm trying to tease out here, which is, I mean, maybe that I'm missing the way to be able to describe this in such a way as you stop talking about <laughs> stuff I don't want you to talk about. Yeah. So uh, it's either my fault or it's my fault. You know, that's why they call it Gilmore Gang. But the uh, the the thing that I think we should be observing is you know this concept that we've talked about this uh, obliquely uh, in the past is kind of a joke but the near present what yeah. is the near present it's it's sort of a shorthand way of saying i'm not talking about what's going to happen i'm not going to talk about uh what isn't going to happen i'm going to talk about what is happening that we don't quite understand it uh, for what yeah. it is and that yeah. over time not very long time, uh, it, the economics of it will prove that it is, in fact, what's happening. So uh, so talking about the competition, I mean, Zoom has its own uh, you know, startup, uh, its own model based on doing it uh, in a collaborative way uh, efficiently. It has some of the elements of what Slack has done with Freemium and you know other platforms. And then there's uh, you know the big uh, players like Google, and uh, uh, I don't think Microsoft has gotten there yet in terms of video. But I wouldn't be surprised to see them bulking up on what they're doing with uh, uh, Teams, which is basically a Slack killer or an attempt at a Slack killer. Uh, I, yeah. I think they'll go there, but I think that what they will end up doing is what I've seen often with uh, Microsoft in the past decade or so, which is they end up fighting uh, a, a war with Google for something that I'm not all that interested in. Uh, wh what I am interested in is this uh, sort of iterative and small, uh, you know, we've called it micro, not communities, but something else, micro networks kind of hmm. uh, uh, grouping of people into, it's kind of like a, you know going to the moon uh, where you get enough velocity up to slingshot around it uh, uh, and then take the uh, gravity of the moon to give you enough energy to come home. That was the mark of the first uh, Apollo uh, missions and yeah, you know, essentially, so that kind of a a, a strategy uh, for finding a, a, an economic milestone which gives you the energy that it takes to be able to expand rapidly uh, with a specific economic underpinning. I think that's very powerful. Yeah, so the way, the way I think of that is um, 
You call it the near present. I, I call it the near future, but I think it's the same thing. It's the thing that's pregnant in right now that's already there and uh, we haven't yet fully found the words to describe it yet uh, but it's very powerful um, so, so it, it, uh, it feels to me as if um, the ease with which you and me can jump on this call uh, record it and publish it or the ease with which you and me can jump on a private call, or the ease with which you, me, and several others can jump on a, a group uh, call, either privately or to publish, is now becoming um, so trivial to execute, given decades of development, um, that people are now going to start to imagine experiences, human experiences, and uh, that, that were really hard to do previously and um, those experiences will be very professionally produced and uh, extremely scalably delivered so suddenly anyone anyone or any group uh, two people or more with anything to say and an audience that wants to listen to it or participate in it, so not an audience, but participants, will and are beginning to do that. Um, and, and, and from a scale point of view, measured in hours spent, the human race's attention will increasingly be, will be, um, will have offered up these kinds of, this uh, content or, um, Content might be too weak a word to describe it. It's bigger than content. These kinds of experiences will be available and will consume more and more of one's time because, it, because it's interesting based on who you are and what you want to listen to and engage with. And that feels to me like we're just a very short step before that becomes obvious. Right. Uh, I completely agree and I'm thrilled at my success in getting you to talk about what I wanted you to talk about. But don't assume that I knew that I did that. <laughs> well, I mean, but you're absolutely correct. I mean, the, the anchor, for example, the uh, application that fuels uh, uh, this as a podcast, as opposed to a video stream, or not as opposed to necessarily in the in the near present, but as uh, something that seems to have some momentum. Uh, you know, I the Gilmore Gang was, I believe, according to Dave Weiner, the second or maybe third podcast, and uh, I never saw it that way. But I understand what he's saying, and so from that perspective, I don't feel a whole lot of change in what's going on in this so-called resurgence of podcasting. But what I do agree with you about is that the tools and the technology and the access to scalable technology, the cloud basically, has rendered uh, uh, what we were painfully 
executing back in the day uh, into something that where so much of the of that work and work since then has been baked in uh, to anybody who, who has a phone, which is, I'm not sure it's probably 90% or greater of the population of the world, uh, has this ability now to be able to record and uh, transmit information. So then the, the, the question is, is uh, we see these other, uh, these other things occurring such as streaming, uh, binging, binge viewing, peak TV, uh, all of these uh, distribution models and the aspects of the scale that those things are reaching, which gives this audience that's emerging uh, an incredible choice. Uh, and the choices that they make around that kind of programming and that kind of communications starts to convert the amount of time spent. Therefore, it becomes an economic model, which changes everything. Mm -hmm. And that in fact, it's, it's, it abstracts or, yeah, it abstracts the nature of the big communications networks, the Verizons and uh, AT&Ts, et cetera, of the world. They become uh, carriers, but not controllers of, of, the, of what becomes successful. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Although in the current climate, one wonders when somebody somewhere is going to say that podcast um, shouldn't have been allowed to say what it said. And somebody else somewhere else is going to say, I take it upon myself to uh, manage what's allowed and what isn't allowed. We seem to be in that zone, which is why Zuckerberg's free speech comments, which are potentially just opportunist on his side. But even if that's true, you know, kudos to him for spotting an opening. Um, it, it does feel as if um, these tools need to have alongside them um, some kind of right to free speech. I mean, you put podcasts in the context of Hong Kong and it becomes obvious that that's true. There is a, a you know, an attempt to control information. Uh, by who? Well, mostly it's governments. Um, Sadly, the U.S. government is no different than the Chinese government in this regard. It, want, it wants to say what is okay and what isn't okay. Well, you know, when people call uh, the Constitution and uh, America an experiment in democracy, uh, they seem to forget that this is the first word is experiment. And, you know, as a scientist, which I'm certainly not, <laughs> but when a scientist uh, runs an experiment, their goal is to find out whether the assumptions of the experiment are true or not. And often what turns out to be uh, interesting and which sometime later has even more impact is what happens that wasn't expected. No, I agree with that. I think I uh, love the word experiment, by the way. Um, 
I think it, it's a key word. Democracy is the exception. That's the key. Um, you know, if you look at the history of the 20th century, even the presently democratic countries have probably been democratic for a minority of the 20th century. And uh, 21st century, a bit, a, a bit more, um, the numbers would be higher because we're so early into it. So democracy itself is a fairly modern phenomenon. It certainly doesn't go back more than 120 years in any, in any way. And um, it's been very partial um, in the most developed countries and non-existent everywhere else. So human race and democracy are, are certainly not, uh, you shouldn't take for granted that they belong together. So experiment's the right word. Well, here's, here's where I use my uh, uh, wonderful uh, predilection for talking about the Beatles. Now, what happened when the Beatles uh, became popular? They first became popular in Western democracies, but uh, probably their greatest popularity uh, that wasn't necessarily felt, but was, uh, you know, lasted was their popularity in the Soviet Union and, yep. you know, places where uh, it was difficult and hopefully impossible to drown out uh, that particular noise, uh, which allowed uh, many things to occur, some of which were good, some of which weren't so good, but it, it broke through. And yeah, you know, John, did you, did you see the movie um, yesterday? No spoilers, please. So you haven't seen it? I have. Oh, you have? No, no spoilers, but I will just say that I don't think it's an accident that the, the guy who uh, retained knowledge of the songs, his first public appearance was in Moscow and, in, and chose the song back in the USSR, but not talking about a revolution. Well, Lenin interest... was... Go ahead. Lenin or Lenon? Come on, go ahead. <laughs> so the point I was going to make is, and, and I'm British and I, that's my era, I'm roughly the same age. I'm, I'm 10 years younger than the Beatles. So they were, I grew up with them. And they were intensely political in the context of the Cold War. Um, John Lennon, was pro-Irish, anti-English. Uh, talking about a revolution was all about his experience of the far left in the UK, who he, he chastised for being all talk, because he actually wanted a revolution. And um, back in the USSR was a, was a, a kind of an anti-Stalinist um, um, you know, like this isn't communism because Lenin was actually a bit of a communist and that was normal for his generation and that in his age group at that time, we were all critics of capitalism. And, and so you look at the Beatles, they were amazingly able to, uh, and, and more John Lennon than the others. I mean, George Harrison was more of a hippie and drugs and, Buddhism, 
and but McCartney was more capitalist and so on. Um, they, they, and Ringo just played the drums. But they 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 they, they kind of personified the ambiguity of the age, which was ambiguous both to East and West. I don't know why I said that now. I've forgotten why, how we got into this. Well, I got, we got into it because I brought it up. Uh, the, the thing about McCartney, uh, I agree with everything you said, but I, uh, I think that there's uh, what's more to the point in terms of this conversation uh, is that back in the USSR was McCartney's song not yeah. Lennon's song. Lennon's yeah. song, for somebody who was, as you call it, a bit of a communist or a bit of a revolutionary, uh, he famously undercut uh, the message of the song Revolution by saying, you can count me out and then yeah. in. So he, he defaulted to, basically, we don't want, we want peace, you know, make love, not war. Uh, was his uh, billboard uh, with Yoko. But uh, at the same time, he was ambivalent uh, about the lack of uh, uh, getting results uh, that I think you're talking about. Yeah, well, the, the words that preceded that were, if we're talking about destruction, you can count me out. Mm -hmm. in, in other words, he was a builder, not a destroyer. He wasn't an anarchist. He, he, he wanted to imagine something better. So destruction is a middle point, not an end point. So he's more or less saying, look, if this is about destruction, I'm out. But if you're talking about transformation, I'm in. Well, I didn't take it that way. I oh. see your point, but I think that uh, this, uh, the lyric was basically him trying to have it both ways. Yeah. Uh, because the Beatles had been uh, attacked vociferously every time that Lennon actually opened his mouth and said what he really thought. Uh, you know, uh, records started to get burned and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Christ, you know, it ain't easy, uh, etc. Yeah. So, uh, and McCartney, on the other hand, was very clever and continues to be clever uh, about uh, processing that ambivalence into something that uh, is uh, universal. Uh, his melody. Uh, I, I disagree with that. I, I, All right, I, go ahead. But let's I'm see, biased. Let's see you try. I, I'm, I'm totally biased uh, in, in that I well, think. Well, disagree with it then. Uh, let, me, but, but, let me hear well, what the well, disagreement is. So, so I, I think McCartney is not really that subtle. He's, he's just into money and fame. Whereas Lennon was into impact. In, impact, I really care what I say. I care to make what I say happen. McCartney was much more, you know, about tunes and songs and fame. And, and still is. So, but it's, the, it's, the, the Beatles were an incubator. They were, uh, you know, a uh, McCartney uh, launched a lot of the avant-garde stuff. Harrison, yeah. 
uh, implemented the synthesizer on uh, Abbey Road. Yep. Uh, Lennon, for all of his uh, uh, revolutionary zeal, uh, was in many ways the most conservative of the group because he uh, he he was extremely competitive and he knew how to stay on top, uh, which was a, a very capitalist idea. It's not about the, I mean, you can explain to me, you can explain to me about the, uh, the, the masses and all of that stuff uh, at, at your leisure, but not on this show. No, well, I'll, I'll give you an example on Ireland. So Paul McCartney's Irish song was, if, you'd ha if you had the luck of the Irish, you'd be sorry and you wish you were dead. If you had the luck of the Irish, you'd wish you were English instead. That's the McCartney Irish song. The Lennon Irish song is, it was Sunday, bloody Sunday, and they killed the people there. 13 Irish martyrs filled the free Derry air. Derry being uh, the city of London, Derry. Um, you know, so a lament versus a fuck you. And neither of them were Beatles songs. No, they were Lennon and McCartney songs. No, they were not. No, I mean separately. Right. They were not, uh, I don't believe, they were not Give yeah. Ireland Back to the Irish, I don't believe was copyright written by uh, Lennon and McCartney. I think it was just uh, the one McCartney. and the yeah. other. Yeah, no, I, I think, I believe you're right. Um, I, stand I, mean, I, I don't I'm really wrong. know the, the, the uh, second one because it's on my least favorite uh, uh, John Lennon solo album, which was sometimes... New York, New York City, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that song also contained um, uh, the, the, uh, a lot of feminist songs and um, John Sinclair... Um, yeah, and all that uh, stuff. Angela Davis. Angela. Yeah, I don't know the yeah. song for the same reason. Not Beatles. Not Beatles. Not Beatles, no. Pure John Lennon, but also not hippie peace John Lennon, but more fighting talk John Lennon. But hippie peace Len John Lennon was Yoko John Lennon. A bit, a bit, but... Um, Name me a Beatles song before Yoko. Uh, I think, except for Give Peace a Chance. Give Peace a Chance, I'm not sure Yoko was involved. You've got to be They were lying next to each other in bed in Amsterdam. No, but I think... It. Well, I, I do believe she catalyzed it, but I think he wrote the whole thing. I'm not talking about the credits. I'm talking about there's Beatles and then there's yeah, yeah, everything yeah. else. And so what I'm saying fundamentally is... Uh, Lennon was more acquisitive uh, than uh, people necessarily understood. McCartney understood that. And uh, uh, conversely, uh, Lennon gave uh, McCartney the, the license uh, to actually move into areas that weren't so single-mindedly about publicity and uh, uh, and pleasing people, and, and 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 Harrison, I think, was the most dominant member of the group uh, because he was so pragmatic about, you know, Everything. he just wanted to know he was going to get paid. 
You well, know. he was well. He was he was Zen. He was he but, was but Zen. He was Zen about like uh, you know what was the tax man line? I mean, you know, I forget. Mister Tax Man. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, I don't. That, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. as far as it goes with hey, that keep... song. That was not one of my favorite songs. <laughs> oh, it, it is one of my favorite songs, only because the track is so incredible. You know, it's on probably the best Beatle album. Um, wasn't that on uh, Revolver? I think it led off Revolver, which was it probably sort was, of yeah, a, I think... a, a clue. Uh, that we didn't get in uh, the United States, I think, because capital screwed with it. Yeah, uh, but so in much, any case, the, the, just the because you said that, I, just ahead. because you said that, I want to say my two favorite Beatles songs are "Blackbird" and "Eleanor Rigby." Well, I think that one is uh, insurmountable. Oh, oh, oh I forgot. Eleanor Rigby. No, I've got to add a third one: Norwegian Wood. Yeah. And Norwegian Wood and Eleanor Rigby, I believe, were also on that same record. Um, or, or maybe Rubber Soul, but those, right in the middle of when it all uh, yeah. sort of manifested itself. How this relates to uh, this uh, Facebook uh, portal moment, I think. He's uh, <laughs> <is> very hard. <laughs> no, I, I disagree. It's the only reason that anybody is still listening. <laughs> is they want to see whether or not we re even remember 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Uh, which for me is increasingly a struggle. But yep. it's a struggle I enjoy. So let me just take a shot at this and then you can tell me why I'm wrong. The, uh, the, the portal represents uh, one of a series of innovations and economic... Uh, viral points in time that are going to turn out to be uh, in retrospect as important as the Beatles were. Uh, mm -hmm. The Beatles still are important. Uh, the listening to uh, George Harrison's uh, guitar work on that record is, you know, in the remix is stunning because, mm -hmm. you know, these guys, even when they, uh, I think Ringo was quoted the other day as saying that there was a lot of tension in the group, but not when they went into the studio on Abbey Road. And it, it, you can hear it. They were suddenly just liberated by uh, this uh, thing that occurred between the, those people. And, uh, you know, it was magic. And, you know, McCartney didn't want it ever to end. And Lennon couldn't wait for it to end because it was, uh, uh, you know, he, John Lennon wanted to be John Lennon, not the Beatles. No, I, I, I think I agree with that. You know, it's a bit, I have a very personal empathy with Lennon because you could think of McCartney as the essential English, Englishman. He really was, he was Liverpool through and through. And he was very English and very happy in his Englishness. McCart, uh, uh, Lennon loved America because it made him bigger. 
somehow it gave him a chance to be bigger than he could be as an Englishman. And New York and Lennon, and I think Yoko Ono as part of that, expanded his, at least in his mind, his possibilities. And I had a lot of friends in tech who stayed in England, who were quite successful in England as I was, and had no aspiration to move to the States. And I've now lived in California for 20 something years, um, 23 years. Um, it always appealed to me to be bigger than English. English being used in that sense, not as a country, but as a container. Um, and I think Lennon had that too, and I don't think McCartney did. I think Harrison actually did, but his was an Eastern-looking expansion, and whereas Lennon was an American-looking expansion. So um, I don't know what that means in terms... I, I'm not placing any value judgments on any of that, because they all have their merits, but I, I think it describes each of them differently. Well, I think you did... Uh... Uh, expressed a value judgment on McCartney. Uh, and I often have uh, as well. Uh, and the longer I look at it, the less I think I knew what I was talking about, uh, about McCartney. I mean, I, I see the, the, the same issues that you see, but I also, I mean, McCartney married a, a, an American. He mm -hmm. spent a, a lot of his time in America. Uh, Much later, though. Wife and families. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the, the tax uh, situation uh, was so confiscatory that it uh, it forced them, you know, it forced the Stones into uh, Switzerland, uh, whatever that means. <laughs> and and you know, the, things were moving so fast. I think it's amazing that they were able to accomplish what they did, given their popularity uh in expanding the envelope which is i think what you're talking about when you say yeah. bigger than england uh, but the the relationship with uh what i think facebook is doing with portal uh i think they're going to be successful with this uh i think there's i don't know who the people are that are doing this or whether they really have a uh something smart uh, as a driver for this, but I, there's just something about it, about the way that the software works, about the sort of ubiquitousness of them uh, playing outside of the carrier uh, cloud model in terms of uh, the economics of it, that they're tapping into something which I think is going to be highly political and very successful uh, at allowing people to be able to use the technology for intensely personal ways, which will turn out to be uh, part of our uh, ability to be able to wrestle technology into something that has humane uh, underpinnings. And so for that reason, uh, I think that sounds a lot like the Beatles to me. Well, it's a transformation period is what you're talking about. I mean, the Beatles, they were the catalyst for a transformation period between 
what came before and what came after. They, they embodied newness, but also continuity at the same time. Um, you know, all the Little Richard songs they played, for example, was the continuity bit, and the newness was, was the post-Elvis Beatles bit. Um, what, what Facebook is doing, not, not just Facebook, all of these things we're talking about, um, podcasting included, what it represents is a transformation period. There's elements of a the past there, which is broadcast audio, for example, in podcasting, or one-to-one -one video in portal. There's also the future is there latently to be fully evolved from now on. And that's always interesting, makes it exciting. And it uh, will allow people like Mark Zuckerberg to get away with uh, their intellectual underpinnings while at the same time uh, somehow coming to terms with the, the desire to break them up. Uh, I, actually, I, don't, I don't care whether they get broken up as long as they get to do uh, this image that you just described and that I've been talking about. I now think after this now going to call him instead of Mark he's Mark McCartney <laughs> which begs the question who is Lennon <laughs> alright well that'll be another uh, podcast yeah. uh, Keith's here thanks so much for your time you're very welcome this was fun bye 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 <laughs>